Hey, Sound Opinions listeners, if you support us on Patreon, you get to listen to our podcast ad-free on Patreon. One, two, tres, cuatro. Listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we are revisiting an interview and performance from Wilco in honor of their album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, being over 20 years old. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott, and later we're going to review the album all over again from this year's perspective. But first, let's travel back in time to September 18th, 2001. You know, so Greg, at the time, I was the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. You wrote about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. We're both working uh, 60 hours a week, going to shows, previewing shows, interviewing, doing news stories. You know, it was a great job. Yeah, it was a great job, for sure, and uh, in one of the great music cities in the entire world. Uh, So we were very privileged to have that opportunity to do the radio show back then, and uh, we've been doing it now for 20 years, but uh, that was a big night, I remember. That was a different incarnation of the show back yeah. then. We were live once a week for two hours on a commercial radio station just in Chicago. This thing happened on September 11th, 2001. We're both thrown into reporter's mode. Everybody at the newspaper was. All hands on deck were covering this news. It was it was horrifying. I was up in Wisconsin. I, there's still a story you can phone in, Jim. Right. <laughs> you know, um, Wilco is a band uh, that we had both covered from the start of their career. I was not a big fan. <laughs> and I think it was one of the things Jeff liked about me because uh, AM and being there, the first two albums, I'm like, yeah, okay, country rock. I've heard it, <laughs> right? That was me, right? I came around with Summer Teeth. Jeff and Jay Bennett, his partner, the other driving force in the band Circus Summer Teeth, had come in and done a performance for us uh, as a duo of songs from Summer Teeth. That's when I became a fan, and Jeff was always kind of giving me a little crap because I hadn't loved the band <laughs> early on. But it was a good-natured, you know, he's a good-natured guy, and he liked that somebody was skeptical of him. Jeff used to write uh, music criticism in yeah. his days when yeah. he was uh, in Belleville, Illinois, with uh, you know the early days of Uncle Tupelo, his first band, right. uh, were were in Belleville, and then he moved to Chicago in the '90s. Um, you know, I thought they were okay, but not great. Uh, AM was a nice solo debut record for Wilco, but I didn't think it was. Um, you know, again, it was it was kind of boilerplate alt country for me. You know, yeah. But being there was the record I really got uh, excited about because it had a combination of that traditionalist style that he was mm-hmm. working in the folk rock realm but then taking it to some new places there were several cuts on that record that i thought the band is experimenting and the one thing i noticed about jeff is that he had a chip on his shoulder in those days not in a necessarily hostile way but he he wanted to prove himself as you can't box me in you can't put me in this yeah. genre pocket and say that's who i am i'm more than that we started proving it with being there summer teeth as you said became this Totally other thing, this orchestral pop record. And then they were working on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and I got a chance to uh, watch how that record was made o- over a period of months. 
And the way that evolved was just, you, you knew it was going to be something special as it was being made. I got to take a long ride up and down Elston Avenue with Jeff. Jeff liked to, to drive and listen to the, yeah, I'm going to play you the new album, Jim. Mm-hmm. Rough mixes, right? right? But he liked to drive Elston Avenue. It was a very industrial, gritty, old mm-hmm. kind of Chicago uh, street, right? And we drove up and down Elston two, three times listening to what would become Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. July 4th, 2001, they played in Grant Park, and they play a lot of what's going to become Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. You and I were both on the side of the stage to hear as good as possible. Uh, It was an amazing performance. And then the trouble happens. (laughs) Between late summer, early fall, the record company says, this is garbage. This is a career-ending album. We're not going to put it out. Yeah, it was a rough period. But, you know, I think in some ways... uh, Tweedy was almost relieved in talking to him around that period of time. I mean, for most bands, it would be like a death knell. And Tweedy was like, no, we're, we never really kind of played ball with the, you know, the major labels. And we weren't interested in making the kind of records that they thought we should make. We want to make the records we want to make. And we're very comfortable to be independent. They were one of the pioneering bands in terms of using the Internet as a way to get their music out there. So they, even though the label wouldn't release their record, Wilco had the facilities and the technological know-how to say, we're just going to put it out on our own. Let, let's yeah. leak it out on the net, which is exactly what they did. One of the first really important albums of the early aughts uh, to be released that way. Yeah, and it was uh, it was an extraordinary moment. Uh, the record did officially get released the following year, and it ended up becoming the biggest seller of their career. So even though they leaked it on the internet, many of their fans had already heard the record. They went then went out and bought the physical yeah. record yeah. in the spring of 2002 when it officially came out. I was such an idiot. You listed Yankee Hotel Foxtrot that year <laughs> as the album of the year, 2001. And I pointedly wrote in my year-end recap, I, I would say Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the album of the year, but it's not actually out yet. Yeah. My God, what a quaint notion that is from yeah. the perspective of 2022. And I, I think the, the show that uh, we're going to air here in a, in a minute is um, uh, incredible because I do remember, you know, again, after 9-11, I, I asked Jeff what was going on with the band and what they yeah. planned to do and we invited them on the show at that point i remember being again dri- driving with jeff he was he was playing normally he would play some of his new music but he was listening to i'll never forget this it was rhino's pop hits of the uh, of the 70s and wow. i go why are you listening to this he says, i just need something to lift me up you know i'm I, like I in need, this place I'm in this deep dark hole yeah. right now and this this stuff is sort of cheering me up and, uh, you know, it was a cathartic experience that whole week for everybody in terms of just their their lives. And uh, I think we heard some of that with the band that night. You know, it was only a week later. They and were fragile. We were fragile. Right. <laughs> Plus, my voice hadn't changed yet. I was apparently 12 years old. Um, you know, the, the whole world was fragile, was on eggshells. You know, we're about to enter two wars. And remember, all of this music, which had basically been completed by the summer of 2001, now we're a week after 9-11. How much of the music on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, uh, a bit of uh, military jargon gibberish that just mm. happened to end the album as a piece of found sound, right? It's, it's military lingo. How much of the album seemed to be predicting this precipitous war of a different kind. Ashes of American flags, war on war, Jesus, etc., to some degree. It's like, wow, what were these guys tuned into that they were channeling this, and they were freaked out that they had channeled this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was... uh... 
I think everybody was processing, well, what, what have we done? How did we do it? Why are we here? What's going to what, happen next? How has everything changed since then yeah. and yet at, at, at the same time remain the same? It's like we said this before any of this happened, and now right. it's happening. Well, That's and one, a weird thing. One last note before we get into uh, uh, this uh, reprise. Um, we were recording in a tiny, tiny on-air studio live, which was about half the size of this dining room where we're recording <laughs> right now, Greg. Um, I mean, it was, it was we, we were literally on top of the band. You know, uh, if somebody wanted to go to the bathroom during commercial breaks, you know, Glenn had to move his drums. Yeah. You know, it was, it was so tight and on top of each other, and it was like we were in the middle of their band. So, without further ado, Wilco on Sound Opinions... September 18th, 2001. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Greg Cott, the rock critic with the Chicago Tribune. And uh, Jim, we're just going to turn over the show to this band we've got here in the studio tonight. <laughs> you and I are going to check out. They're going to play a bunch of music. We'll just go home. It's going to be like the first official Wilco concert of the uh, of the fall. Obviously, if you've listened to the show at all in the last couple of months, this is a, an evening we've been anticipating with great pleasure. Only in part because Jeff Tweedy's the only actual uh, musician who's ever come on the show who listens to us. <laughs> he actually, we've caught you, Jeff, calling in and taking us to task. And that's, that's with the greatest admiration I say that. Uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but... You don't uh, it listen? was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to find the score. And here, and he and here I thought Jeff had no life. I have oh. a broken radio. <laughs> yeah, this is a special night. Wilco uh, has this incredible album, uh, and, and there's all sorts of stories to tell about that, and we want to talk about that. But first we have to talk about something that uh, last Tuesday, uh, we had a show on tape, and it was going to play. I was away on vacation, and, and you had uh, you were looking to go see Laurie Anderson, so we taped a show, which we don't do that often. And uh, in the course of the day on Tuesday, it, it became completely irrelevant, uh, as, as many things did, um, by, uh, by events. Um, we don't know what to say about this. It's an odd thing for, mm. for you and I to be rendered speechless, speechless. By, by events. I have to say, Jim, the one thing that was, that was probably the, uh, the best thing uh, was that I happened to be a newspaper man last week. And I was yeah. out in the street interviewing people and actually doing stuff, which was uh, somewhat useful because uh, otherwise I think I would have been numb. And, well, and sitting in front of my TV, just trying to uh, I had process. That, I had what that helpless feeling. Uh, you know, I grew up in the shadow of those buildings across the river in Jersey City, and uh, my brother's an EMS technician, and he was ferrying supplies down all week to the triage area, and uh, and there was nobody for him to help, which was perhaps the saddest thing. Um, music, I think, is never irrelevant to life, even in dark times. There was a, a quote by Bertolt Brecht that I saw, which was, you know, will there be singing in the dark times? Yes, there will be singing about the dark times. Um, and I think music is catharsis in, in any situation. And I had a tune that was going through my head all week, Masters of War by Bob Dylan. And the second tune that was on heavy rotation was this incredible new song from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And I thought, you know, why don't we ask these guys if they would just play us a song and, and you know, that's our comment on last week. We do have Wilco here. All four members of the band are here with us. Um, Glenn Kochi, Jeff Tweedy, John Sturrott, Leroy Bach. Um, gentlemen, I, I suppose, uh, given what we just talked about, uh, there's an album that you've got out, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, that's not officially out it's yet. not out. A lot of people have heard it. And it, it speaks to a lot of these issues kind of... Uh, Obliquely and directly in some way, some cases. Jeff, uh, I guess there's a song on here called War on War that, um, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it relates a little bit to what, what happened last week. That's a tough thing. I think a lot of weight has been added to a lot of music. Uh, you turn on a 50s, 60s oldie station and, and words, what human expression, music, whatever it is, 
the good stuff hopefully absorbs a lot of different emotions and uh, uh, I think hope tr helps people translate it. I don't know if I put this song in that category, but it, uh, something very strange has happened to our record. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wish it hadn't happened, but we'll play the. Should we play that song? Yeah, I think I, it's great. I'd really like to hear it. That is War on War Wilco in 2001, only uh, a week after 9-11. You have to learn how to die if you want to be alive, the song says. Uh, words to, to indeed live by. Uh, coming up, more from Wilco's 2001 interview and performance. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. 
This week, we're revisiting a session with Wilco recorded live in 2001, a week after 9-11. Greg, I should have mentioned it earlier. Uh, you wrote, uh, after this album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, uh, a fantastic biography of the band, Learning How to Die. And I think uh, it's worth mentioning your book, Ripped, about the change in technology, mm. uh, the shift towards the new brave digital world we now inhabit. Uh, you were ahead of your time <laughs> with both of those books, the same way Wilco was with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Well, thank you. Here's more of Wilco in 2001. A lot to talk about with Wilco tonight. Uh, among the things we're going to we're going to discuss is the, the the fate of this record that uh, Reprise Records uh, decided not to put out and is now uh, back in the hands of Wilco to do with with what it will. Uh, also, the uh, the shifting lineup in the band. Uh, we're going to have the the guys uh, give us some Desert Island jukeboxes, their choices for the records that a they first. would bring Guest to Desert a Desert Island, Island picks. Absolutely, because we know that Jeff at heart is a frustrated rock critic. <laughs> we know this. We're going to we're well, going to. That's a serious it. indictment. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, I try. Your I kids try. aren't listening, are they? Don't want to learn that this way. I try, but I can't. <laughs> I think I think Jeff was just showing off, but I, one time I was over at his house and he had a copy of uh, The Aesthetics of Rock, uh, oh, the Richard Meltzer Richard book, Mel- and he claimed he was reading it for the second. Have time. Have you actually read it? Uh, I've read it as much as you can read it. We've had, yeah, yeah. We've had Melter on. The, we had Melter on the show. I think I told him I could never finish it. Yeah, boy, it's a it's a dense book. It's uh, the aesthetics of rock is the first or widely considered the, the first, first serious full book about serious rock. book about rock and roll with the sixties. Oh, at the Nick Khan book. Wap up, yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was a that was a good one. That was a little and, later. And Charlie though. Charlie Gillette's book, uh, Sound of the City, Sound of the City, was also a, a serious tome. See, he knows this stuff. He could fill in for that's, one of us if we scary. were sick. Actually, uh, that's essentially what we're that's planning really to do. That's, <laughs> that's really that's what I'm. That's This is a palace coup. There's four <laughs> of them and two of us. Hey, before we get any further away, um, Jeff, the, the extraordinary refrain of, of War on War. You have to learn how to. Uh, am I going to screw it up? You have to learn how to die if you want to live. Essentially, is the sentiment. It's a it's a really tough thing to talk about for me right now. I yeah. really I've really been really sad, and everybody in the band's been really sad, and we've had a real tough time thinking about going on the road and the only thing that that makes it feel all right is that uh music is all about spirit and mm. and i think that's the most severely damaged thing in the world right now well, yeah uh, i hope this comes out i hope this comes out the right way and and because i want to say it and i don't know uh, and, and it could be taken wrongly but if there is any bright side to the horrible events of last week mm-hmm. you have this huge generation of teenagers generation y which is the biggest group of kids since the baby boom mm-hmm. and and they're out there and and music has been just another facet of a consumer lifestyle along with your abercrombie and fitch t-shirt and your sony playstation you buy britney spears and you buy limp biscuit and that's not going to cut it anymore all of a sudden there's been this bucket of ice water in the face and you know people i think are realizing that there's a lot at stake in life in general, in politics, in America today, and in art. You know, and and art has to be about some. Not that all art has to be serious, all music has to be serious, but you know, it can speak the truth. Uh, the, um, the intent with that song was to talk about the world before, mm-hmm. before Tuesday, um, even in before uh, something as horrifying as that happened. Uh, every step you take, everything you do is. Um, kind of in the face of death and and, mm. and being creative and moving forward, I think the 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 sentiment was I that working towards less fear mm-hmm. was the only way to live and and the only way to uh, grow uh, to accept 
your mortality and it's yeah. accept failure <laughs> accept the fact that you're going to fail uh, that's really all the song was about and i um I think that's all it's about. Still. It always seems to me that when people talk about Kurt Cobain and and his uh, and his suicide, they miss one vital fact, and it was the fact that every time he picked up that uh, th- that Fender, uh, it was it was affirming life. Even if the, the the lyrics of his songs were were negative, I mean, picking up that guitar and playing it the way he did was about living. Don't you think? I mean, do you, do you feel that way when you pick up a, the guitar? Are you, are you aren't you celebrating life even if it's a sad song? I think music is love. I, I honestly, I think that music is is a uh, is a political statement to get up in the morning and play music. I think it's a political statement to do something creative with your life. I I think it's a more important than a political statement. It uh, it's, it's elemental. Let me ask you guys this: on on Tuesday, did you guys get together and play? Uh, I know you have this amazing rehearsal space on on. Uh, on the northwest side of Chicago. Don't give the address out. You get together. Bad idea. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you get together and, and, and gather there, it seems like, just about every day, especially in these last couple of months. On Tuesday, were you able to gather there and play music, or was it just a day where you felt like music was not appropriate, was not did not belong in your life that day? Uh, we started the day feeling like it was not appropriate, and at the time we were uh, involved in a recording session with a friend, Scott McCoy, um, mm-hmm. the Minus Five, at uh, Soma Studios, uh, the, we started the day kind of feeling like uh, we may, maybe needed to keep our keep undercover, or you know, stay mm-hmm. close to our families, or uh, what we needed to do uh, to survive the, the day was to hide out. And I think by the early afternoon, uh, it was pretty obvious that that the only thing we could do was uh, get together and play, and and not have uh, I don't know to to work to to go do what we do and and take every small step forward from that 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 morning i was uh an act of faith and and uh the only cowardice available to us was to not do what we do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it was just beauty in the in, in creation actually you know I, I don't know if i would have felt good mm-hmm. you know bashing out you know our songs or something but even just writing something or or uh, recording something, even if it's a friend, you know, it just it felt good to, to create. Jeff Wilco is obviously, that. you know, uh, a key part of the community in, in a couple of ways. I mean, you guys, I think, are, are the most vital and, and vibrant band nationally with a national profile out of Chicago today. More specifically, there's this incredible community around the band itself. People seem well aware, sometimes even before Greg or I have broken news in the newspaper, of everything you're doing. One of those big things has been the split from Reprise. You, you did three albums, uh, more if we count the, the Billy Bragg records, for, for this label. Um, no, those weren't Electra. Oh, those weren't Electra, 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 actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The extended Wea family. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> God, it's so hard to keep it with super mergers today. It's yeah. all one company, basically, now, okay. anyway. You know, We're all going to be run by Madonna in five years, so... <laughs> Give we us. We can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually done doing a good job with Maverick. I personally nominate David Yao actually to run the all the record labels. Mm-hmm. Now there's an idea. <laughs> give us, give us the Cliff Notes version. What the heck happened with with splitting with the label? And I mean, because this record was supposed to be out now. This was supposed to be the tour behind the record. The record's not coming out now. At least not on reprise. At least not. <laughs> As soon as Greg oh, and I would like to see it out, we're touring because the record's out. <laughs> it's on the web, right? Ways, right. No, a lot of people have it. I guess the Cliff Notes version uh, would be that we spent a long time just uh, making our record in relative secrecy, or not really secrecy, just in a real hands-off manner, as we 
have operated in the past. Communicated with the label throughout the recording process, sent them things here and there, never really got that much of a uh, feeling either way what, what, what was going to happen. When we started to mix the record, we sent them the first six mixes, and it became pretty obvious that they didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, do, how does a company, how does a big faceless national conglomerate make it obvious to you that you're not being a good boy? They, they dead pigeon. Do you get a dead they pigeon? Say they, don't, they don't. They don't. hear it. <laughs> no, they, they don't. So, so the cliche is true. I, I don't hear the single, Jeff. <laughs> it's not even. Not even the single. It's it. We're trying to bring it home for you. Yeah. And then, uh, then we. Then the other way they let you know is uh, you send them the finished record, and they don't call you back. <laughs> and then the package arrives with three fishes in it. And, you know, you know, you're dead. So now. it's just and like then, a date. It's like a girl. It's when a date goes bad and she doesn't take your phone call <laughs> and then then they call you back eventually two weeks later and say um we need to figure something out <laughs> they, this isn't working for you is it or is it for us you know and, and and actually in the end it's hard to point any fingers or be very upset about it they're they're at least very extremely upfront about their goals <laughs> and we're very willing to let us go do our thing which is an incredible position to be in to actually you know have our record back and more importantly people are hearing it and uh how do you feel about that putting this incredible album up for free for people to hear i think that in general most people really want the record the real thing if they enjoy it mm -hmm. uh i think it's a, it's a fact of life right now that, yeah. that people are going to hear it that you don't have a lot of control once one person gets it Everybody can have it. Mm -hmm. The world can have it. And it's something I think musicians and uh, recording artists have to come to terms with. It really makes sense in a lot of ways. Not m people making money off of your music or making money off of bootlegs or things like that. But the fact is that a lot of people just want to hear it. They want to share it with people. And uh, without them listening to it, it really wouldn't exist anyway yeah <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. music yeah. needs a listener and by the way guys everybody else is sort of watching jeff talk i i feel i feel I'll bad i for feel bad too. for glenn and john <laughs> and, and, and leroy uh uh to, to jump in at any time but all four members of wilco are here to, <laughs> just john Sturatz, him out of the way Sturatz, uh, you know got I'll, just shoulder his way in there i'm i'm ready anytime anybody wants to jump in <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people out there who don't consider it a record until it until it shows up in tower well, records why or is that records, you know that's a good question you know, you know, it's it's a record. It's still a record. Mm -hmm. so what, what, what what I can't figure out about this whole reprise thing is that here's a label that dumps you without a second thought. They basically said, you know, the record's unlistenable. The the quote I got from uh, people close to David Kahn, the, the Darth Vader of reprise records, was that he thought it was a career-ending record. Uh, then you turn around, you get that bad news, and thirty to forty labels apparently are interested in putting this record out. I mean, if it's a career-ending record, why are 30 to 40 labels interested in putting this record out? We had a career? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that's, that was news to us. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, maybe they're, they're more willing to end our careers for us or mm -hmm. something. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you guys want to play? I'm the man who loves you, Jim. All right. <laughs> but now, wait, where's the horns? <laughs> You're, you're going to have right. to do that, Jim. That's oh, your job. You want us to do it? Yeah. We got the kazoos handy.
black and white and white and pink blitz blue that live between the words I think on a pitch I was meaning to send you I couldn't tell it to bring my art the way I wanted when I started writing this letter to you But if I could you know I would just hold you and then you'd understand I'm the man who loves you All I could be is a busy sea of spinning wheels and hands that feel for stones to throw and feet that run to come back home. Make no difference ever known, make no difference ever known to me. But if I could, you know, I would just hold your hand and you'd understand. I'm the man who loves you. Jeff a, Tweedy on that Robert Quine guitar there. Is that a searing guitar solo, Jim? <laughs> that was that was absolutely searing guitar. <laughs> John Sturrod on bass, Leroy Bach, the man of many instruments in this band on acoustic guitar on that one, Glenn Kochi on drums. It's such a treat to have you guys here. Uh, they're playing songs from uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, a record that is out, but sort of. We're, we're betraying our fandom of this record. Have you noticed that? We, we do love this record to pieces. And uh, maybe that's part of the reason why Warner Brothers didn't like it. When rock critics don't like, like it's a, it's something. That's a sign of death it. right there. Yeah, there you go. Kiss of death. Look the rock it, critics like it. Look what it did for the Velvet Underground. Yeah. You know? 
When we return, we'll hear a little bit more from Wilco in 2001 and give our 2022 review of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. This week, we're revisiting a session that Wilco recorded for us around the time of their album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Let's talk about, about this lineup. Again, Glenn Cochise here on drums. John Starrett is, is here on bass. Uh, Leroy Bach. Every time we've interviewed Jeff for the last couple of years, we always ask him, when is Leroy going to be an official member? You're now an official <laughs> member, right, Leroy? Official. Did you get a card? <laughs> Are you a card-carrying member it's of Wilco a, now? It's a little plaque. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, is, don't, you, don't, you don't get a watch when you leave Wilco. You get one when you join. When you join. There He's you got go. one of those Rolex like Puff Daddy's get wear. You, know? you guys were here be- shortly before, I think, Summer Teeth came out, or shortly after Summer Teeth came out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a real treat. It was one of our, our favorite shows. And it was a different band at that point. So mm-hmm. what happened, uh, Jeff, uh, in terms of the lineup? It's a rock band. Things change. Uh, People grow in different directions and at different speeds, and and to make music, you have to have, uh, as you know, a real unified mind. <laughs> and if that doesn't happen, then then things change. Uh, people leave. Uh, you have to let go of your friends and mm-hmm. and move on. And that's uh, that's just kind of where we're at. But in the middle of the recording session, uh, Ken Coomer, the original drummer of the band, le- was uh, was asked to leave the band, and and Glenn Kochi came in. Now you'd been you've been with him since the Uncle Tupelo days, right? And with John, right? And then uh, about once the record was done, uh, Jay Bennett, who had worked on the entire record, I, again there was a situation there where Jay left the band uh, ostensibly to work on solo projects. The reasoning there was that Jay had finished working on the record and was ready to move on. But well, we're, kind of we're tap dancing around this. The, this, the, the, the thing that the people are saying on the net, we might as well just throw it at you because you know it, is that, is that this is disastrous for Wilco. How can they continue without Bennett? Somehow negating the fact that, that, that Bennett wasn't there on the first album, and you know you made a lot of records before you ever met Jay, but I guess he was considered such a, an integral part of Summer Teeth. I understand. I understand why people feel that way. I mean, people... Uh, people don't like change, and especially something as bizarre as it is, people come to cherish rock bands <laughs> as mm. their own, and especially one as as uh, sort of uh, off the radar, off the mainstream radar at least, as as Wilco. Uh, not uh, it's an I I don't I don't know I can understand it. Did you ever feel that they way feel... about uh, about a group that you loved? I'm trying to think. I don't I don't I don't I don't remember feeling that way Brian Eno leaving Roxy Music I, I was yeah. seven and people were justifiably <laughs> upset about that but I wasn't around <laughs> I don't know I, I mean it's going to be different and if the, the uh, people that uh, really are upset about it and, and listen to the band now and, and don't like it uh, there's really nothing we can do about it, uh, it it's we're, we're happy playing music together you know yeah. What, what about the whole issue? Bennett was sort of viewed as a, a co-conspirator, a collaborator on, on the last couple of records, especially Summer Teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a sense there, the, the vibe I'm getting on the internet with, with some of these people on the web is that it, the, 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 man's, you know, the, the band's not big enough for both of them. Jeff and Jay can't <laughs> both be in the same band. Showdown. Jeff's the leader. Jeff's putting his foot down, basically saying there's only room for one guy in this band. Um, I mean, how do you respond to something like that, Jeff? There's four guys in this band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was Leroy that answered that, by the way, yeah. not, not Jeff. Now an official card-carrying watch-wearing right. member. That's right. He's got yeah. the watch to prove it. <laughs> I, I'm a part of, of Wilco. I, 
I got in this position out of Uncle Tupelo where I have a band, and mm-hmm. and I've tried to like uh, keep a band because I like the idea of a band, and I like the way that a band can grow and evolve, and I like the idea of a collective, and that has been executed to varying degrees of success throughout the history of Wilco. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most successful execution of that is right now. Uh, it's something that I've kind of generated or put together over time. Isn't something I hope that we think about when we get together and play music. Mm. I, I think that there's a role to play, and that that a circle uh, needs a center. You know, mm. and 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 if I can be that, that's that's great. I don't think it's a, a desire to be anything more than 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 some part of the structure. Mm-hmm. We do this thing called the Desert Island Jukebox. Uh, where, where Greg or I alternately take turns picking a, a track that was a, a key pantheonic influence for us, one, a track that we would you know choose to be stranded on a desert. Or island sometimes road. just picking one just to tick somebody else off, like you would me. Either, that too, you like, like Jim saying, you know, dragging Meatloaf to the desert island, saying he's a better songwriter than Springsteen. Aren't you guys with me? Isn't isn't Bad Out of Hell better than Darkness on the Edge of Town? Oh, I think uh, it's better than Born in the USA. I think oh, I've got absolutely. a brand new pair of roller skates is better than all of that. Yeah. Melanie? Yes. Melanie, yeah. That's there you go. You Melanie. don't get much deeper than Melanie. There's something twisted about Melanie. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, I could go there with well, that. Well, what I thought we'd do is why don't we go, uh, you know, let's do it in seniority here. We'll go youngest to oldest in, in terms of the band band seniority. Okay. And and each one of you guys has got to pick a record that you would bring to the desert island with you. Now, I, I guess we tried to get you four to agree on one record <laughs> that the four of you could take to one line, but you couldn't agree, right? <laughs> I, uh, I actually brought a record that I would want Jeff to have if he was lost on a desert island. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Leroy. What would that be? <laughs> uh, it's uh, by Roy Harper. Roy Harper. It's uh-huh. called uh, The Cricketeer something or other. But Jeff loves it. I wouldn't want him to be without it. Well, hold on a second. Are you That's the youngest member? Yes. He's, he's jumping ahead. He's jumping ahead in line. <laughs> well, it's kind of nebulous because, you know. Right. Let's go right, from, right to left. Yeah. Yeah. Youngest yeah, yeah. in working, spirit. Working in that gray yeah, area. Exactly. <laughs> So you brought that for Jeff. Leroy, what would you bring for yourself? I was actually lost on a desert island once, and there's no, <laughs> there's no electricity. And I, <laughs> I had that to, that's problem. how I became a musician myself. I taught myself. John, where are you? John, sing along. I think he'd take it, too. <laughs> I like that record. All right, so yeah. what, what, what are you taking with you? I think mine is uh, actually uh, it's a Colin Blundstone uh, song called Say You Don't Mind off of... Uh, his one-year record, which was the post Odyssey and Oracle Zombies. He was uh, a zombie. He was a zombie, yeah, yeah. and it was the first. Uh, actually, Rod Argent had input on this record, and mm-hmm. actually, it was uh, engineered by Jerry Boys, who engineered Mermaid Avenue One. So, oh, wow, a Wilco connection there. But Odyssey uh, and Oracle is is a great underrated psychedelic yeah. lost concept uh, concept album from it's the amazing. late '60s. Misspelled. Isn't it yeah. about? It's about World War One or something? Isn't that right? Odyssey uh, and Oracle? I think so. Really? I think that's the story. It, was it depends on which drug you're using, I think. About World War One. Is that the best rock voice you've ever heard? Yeah, he's, I was, was going to say, Colin Blundstone's got to be one of the most that, distinctive voices ever. Oh that and, and the strings, you know, the combination so, of that, that voice that sort of, Yeah, it's like a, man, it's like the best lounge singer you've ever seen. And so this was a late 60s solo record by Colin Blundstone that John Starrott would bring to the Desert Island. Deep, just, it must be interesting in the van as you guys fight about whose turn it is. <laughs> Desert Island jukebox uh, selection from the newcomer, the newest member of Wilco. Well, to be honest, my first choice, I'd have to go with my hero, Mo Tucker, and pick uh, Sister Ray. 
by the Velvet Underground. But I didn't bring that, so... Um, and it's also 20 minutes, so there's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, there's a great record. It's an old record I just recently got turned on to, um, Pato. And oh, uh, yeah. there's this first track is just... Uh, you can hear the passion from every instrument. It's, it's pretty incredible. Mr. Tweedy, I have I have to say that all of uh, all of the records that we've picked are, are uh, records that uh, we, one would one would find in Mr. Jim O'Rourke's record collection, mm-hmm. uh, inadvertent as that may be, or as He's intentional. You guys. <laughs> intentional. I had that record long. Before. No, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I this is a record uh, Jim turned me on to uh, by Bill Fay. And it's a song called "Don't Be So Fearful." What's what's his background? How and, and why he, do you love that track? Oh, I, I what's not to love about that track? I I think it's uh, stunning, stunning music, and uh, every almost every track on both of his records is as good or better. Uh, he made two records. I think he made a third that never came out. Um, and and, and kind of lost. You guys all picked uh, interesting records because a lot of these guys are, are completely... You, you pick up the rock history books and, and they're not in there. You explained uh, the wrong show. Them. You told them Buried Treasures instead of Desert <laughs> Island. <laughs> Whatever the That's case, good. it was some uh, interesting music. And I think... Uh, uh, not not what people might have expected from you guys. Uh, I don't know what they're Maybe expecting. It's just the mood we're in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have time for for one more song. If you guys are willing to uh, to play us out, uh, sure. I think we're gonna play this song called "Ashes of American Flags." It's on our it's on our record, and uh, I would like to say hi to my wife Sue, and I hope that your stomach's feeling better. Oh. I'd like to say hi to my wife Mitty, <laughs> and uh, thanks for staying up and listening. If you are. So, it's another really potent tune. Indeed.
of American flags. Wow. I remember, Greg, uh, you and I were slack-jawed. Mm. Like, like, what do you say after <laughs> that performance? Especially given how close we were in the yeah. middle of the band. And they were uh, shocked at the emotions, the catharsis, mm -hmm. the playing that song uh, released a week after 9-11-2001. I think we have to talk now about how Yankee Hotel Foxtrot uh, stands up uh, 20 years later later. Do you love it as much as you did then? You know, I do. I went back and listened to it to make sure that I, you know, still love the record, and I do. I, I really do think it's the, the peak of Wilco's career, um, which is not to say that they haven't made other good records. I just think this is the mountaintop for them, and for many bands it would be. The thing that still stands out to me, I think Glenn Kochi's drumming added a new dimension to the band. It was the first studio album for Wilco that he had, uh, he had recorded with them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the mix of weirdness and organic folk melodies. I can't emphasize that enough. Jim O'Rourke did the mixing on the record. You know, O'Rourke told me, he said, a lot of people blame me for the weirdness. And I go, yeah. he says, I yeah. actually took most of it out. Right. I tried right. to find those melodies that were in there. And Jeff was, was on board with that. He, you know, he said, thank you. We kind of got lost in the weeds there because we were experimenting mm -hmm. so much it's in the studio. It's hard to know when to stop. Right. Well, and, and before we get off the subject of Kochi, uh, when I interviewed Jeff around that time, he was praising what he called inglentions. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Kochi, inglentions. Like, like, like Kochi would do something like he had stuck a rubber tube into the head of his floor tom. Right. And he would suck air in or out changing the 
pitch of the drum head like a timpani. Right. The guy was amazing. Yeah. We listened, uh, both of us, because it was an unfolding story. We heard early mixes, and then we saw them perform, and then the record finally comes out. Uh, I had listened to it so much, I really hadn't been back to this album, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, what strikes me today is that, uh, you know, there are some songs that are... Uh, just okay. Mm. <laughs> Camera and uh, radio cure. I, I always loved heavy metal drummer, you know. It's, it's a, a love song to a drummer, right? You know, but it's a goofy song in the context of the incredible emotional stuff, both Jeff questioning himself as a man, as a partner, I am trying to break your heart, right? And the prescient, weird, did they see into the future political stuff, war on war, ashes of American flags. I think half the album is absolutely brilliant, and it's so brilliant that it saves the entirety of the album. I agree with you, it's the best album of their career. But going back, there was a lot, I, I went back to my reviews. I said that it sounded like Big Star's third album, uh, as played by Can, <laughs> the Krautrock band, the experimental band, and I stand by that, you know, but the folkier songs are very big star, and they're very quiet, and they're very, like, end-of-the-road, exhausted, sad. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some of that. I think those, those uh, the, the textural variety is what, what stuns me. I mean, even like Radio Cure, I, I love the, that radio static that's kind of bubbling underneath that. It just adds this weird atmosphere to the whole record where you feel like you're in a an, another world and i think it the anxiety that's in that record the the sense of you know the world is in, can be confusing anxiety inducing and incredibly cruel and yet i am searching for meaning in this and he finds it at the end and i actually think that um the way the record ends on that it's almost like three or four minutes of like this beautiful sound, these, these humming, buzzing synthesizers kind of slowly fading away. You sort of melt yeah. into that. You know, I think it's a complete work. I also have to, I just love the way it's sequenced. I think uh, hmm. it might have been O'Rourke who did it, but I, you know, when I think of um, Ashes of American Flag segueing into heavy metal drummer, it's like I can't hear heavy metal drummer without that song melting into it. And the other thing I noticed about heavy metal drummer and listening to it again, that's kind of a disco song. It's, it's talking about heavy metal bands, but the bass line in there is like a disco bass line. And I'm thinking, that's kind of cool. It's kind of a subversive element in this song that gives it that little extra bounce. We both uh, agree still that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the best album of Wilco's career. Kids, if you ain't heard it, you need to. But we want to know what all of you think of the album. Leave us a message on our website, soundopinions.org, so we can play it on the show. And Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, uh, we are going to take a deep dive into the career of Led Zeppelin. There's a uh, relatively new Led Zeppelin biography out, which I would say is pretty definitive in yep. terms of uh, addressing everything about the band, the everything good and, and the bad. <laughs> everything yes. and more. And uh, don't forget to check out our weekly bonus podcast. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Lots of people talking.